Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's me, Dan, the fitness man. We're on Elk Shape Podcast. This is the podcast for you blue-collar hunters that want to bust up that elk hunting learning curve or want to be more consistent killers on the public land, which is opposite of the private land. You are the guys buying your tags at Walmart. You guys are the ones that have a 9-to-5, 40-plus-hour work week, family, bunch of other obligations, and you're passionate about elk hunting. You want to crush the elk hunting learning curve. You want to be more consistent at killing elk. This is the podcast for you. We are sponsored by Delayed Gratification, Hard Work and Hustle, and having ownership or accountability for your actions. So we preach discipline and fitness, but we talk about elk tactics mostly. Um, All my sponsors are on elkshape.com. All of them are more like partners. They help put this thing together. Your guys' support. Check out the Elk Shape store. Today we're bringing on Dirk Durham, the bugler. He has been seen with the Elk 101 guys. He's been on the born and raised land of the free. He hunts a ton of public land. He's a blue collar. He works four tens, has a wife, kids. He does it all. He competes at elk calling competitions. He's, uh, He's everywhere. But we have him here tonight to talk about how noobs can tackle hunting elk in Idaho, all over Idaho. We talk about the wolf population. We talk about how to have a mobile hunting station for when you're hunting out of state. And being mobile is really critical to, to upping your chances of success. Um, we talk about a lot of different topics, including um, some of the calls that he has helped make with Phelps Game Calls and how to use those to best bring those elk in closer. So enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And enjoy. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. We're doing the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Learning Curve today. Special guest from Idaho, Dirk Durham. What's up, buddy? Oh, hey there. Oh, Just hey. got done with work. <laughs> Just got done for, for work for the day and for the week. It's my Friday, so it's good. You doing the 410 life? Yeah, 410 life is the best. What time do you start? Uh, 6 a.m. Cool. Well, who is Dirk the Bugler Durham? Uh, I'm just a regular guy from north central Idaho who happens to like to hunt elk. I happen to love to hunt elk, actually. (laughs) Okay, simple as that. So your son, Austin, trained at my gym for a little while. Got to meet him. Yeah, He is a great guy. I didn't think he was super into elk hunting. No. What in the hell? So if my son's not into elk hunting, what advice do you have for me? I don't know. I'm still trying to cope with it. Um, Austin is 
awesome. He's a great kid. Um, pretty passionate about other things, but he's not really into elk hunting. He likes to go to, just to be with dad. He does it for me, I think. Um, but he's not driven, you know, to, to go the extra mile and do all the, the crazy stuff that I'm willing to do to, to get an elk. So, um, which is okay. You know, he likes other stuff and, and, uh, and I don't know if maybe I ruined him when he was little. Um, I took him hunting all the time when he was a little, little guy and soon as he, and then later, as soon as he could actually have a license and hunt himself, um, I took him all the time and, and, you know, hunting, you know, you have a lot of slow days before, you know, that magical day happens. And, and I don't know, maybe he just didn't think those slow days were worth it. Well, that's interesting. So maybe later in life, he'll want to pick up where he left off. And then do you have any other kids? I do. I have a daughter, Samantha. Um, she's in college still. Um, and she took her hunting all the time too, when she was little, um, she and she loves to be outdoors uh she's actually has her own business she's a photographer and she's kind of supplementing her uh, way through college with uh doing uh senior portraits and weddings and and other things like that um and she she likes to go hunting but it, she don't really have the time for it she's either doing school or or doing photography and then um now she's she's engaged to a, a guy who's big into MMA, and um, so he's got her training jujitsu, and that's like lit a huge fire under her. And she she loves jujitsu, so there's no time for hunting. <laughs> I see. And where's she going to school at? Uh, she goes to school at LCSC in Lewiston, Idaho. Okay, so you're like what thirty minutes outside of Lewiston? Uh, it's about forty five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You live in some pretty remote country. You can get to some good stuff and, uh, beautiful. I was telling yeah. you on the phone last week, I was like, we finally drove. Is that what? Highway 12? Highway 12. Yeah. Finally made her all the way from Lewiston to Montana this summer. That was one of our big trips we wanted to do and check out the Locksaw and prettiest country I've seen, man. Yeah, it's amazing. I I feel like this the, the little town Orfino, it's kind of like a, a gateway to the just everything. I mean, there's a lot of history from Lewis and Clark passing through these mountains back in the day and and then just all the the beautiful backcountry here. Um it's it's amazing. There's not much to do here besides outdoorsy stuff, so that's why I love it so much. Cool. Well, let's go through your elk hunting learning curve. Um, I do think we should mention you're pretty much blue collar guy. You work full time. You yeah. you hunt when you can. You know you got to save up vacation. You're like the rest yep. of us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You got a daughter in college. You got bills to pay. All that kind of stuff. So, um, are you married? Yep. And yep. want to uh, hear about that too? How Mama Bear puts up because you hunt a lot. I want to hear about that. And um, yeah. Some of the like least sexy topics, but I mean, the stuff I can relate to, <laughs> yeah, and probably the listeners as well. But let's get into your elk hunting learning curve, the early days, what you were doing, and looking obviously retrospectively, what you could have done better. Yeah, so I started out deer hunting. That was my my thing. Um, and my dad, he was pretty old. He, you know, he was 50 years old when I was born. So he was pretty old. He kind of been there, done that in the hunting, um, for rifle and such. 
when he was a young man, and by the time I got to be hunting age, he was just kind of over it, right? You know, it wasn't the same kind of hunting. You know, they had awesome hunting in Idaho back back when he first moved here, and, and things had kind of gone downhill, and he just he didn't he didn't really want to get after it. But uh, but me listening to all of his old stories, and and him and my uncle would tell stories about all the adventures they had and and i was all about it i just devoured um hunting magazines back then just just went through page by page and looking at the pictures and reading the stories and lived vicariously through that and then so i started deer hunting you know and my a lot of times you know, it's kind of crazy but um 12 13 years old my mom would after school or before school she would go drop me off in the woods and i'd go i'd go hunting um till like after school school till dark i'd be waiting where she dropped me off at dark um that's kind of crazy these days not a lot of 13 year olds you would feel okay with dropping them off and coming back at dark for but that's that's the way things were back then and man i loved it and one year i i thought i was gonna uh do a bear bait and bait in a bear because i'd been seeing bear tracks along this old pond and so we took some some stinky stuff out there and put it along the pond bank in the little spot where you'd have to come out where I could see this bear. And I thought, man, I'm for sure going to get a bear. Had my dad drop me off a couple miles down the road so I could walk in in the dark and be. And I sat there in the dark for probably an hour, maybe 30 minutes before before first light. And this was opening day of bear season and coincidentally opening day archery season too uh, for deer and elk. I'm sitting there with my rifle waiting for this bear to come in and, uh, the sun comes up and I hear a bunch of crunching around in the brush and I'm like, Oh man, here comes that bear. I'm going to get him. And it wasn't a bear at all. It was some elk. Um, oh. It was a couple, three cows and a raghorn bull. And they walked out and they walked over and got in the pond and drank water and splashed around a little bit. And I was just like right there. They were right there. 15 yards. And I, all I could think was, dang, if I had a bow, I could totally kill this bull. And I just, I didn't know what to do. You know, I just, I, I wanted to, I wanted to shoot this elk. So I, I just sat there and enjoyed it, soaked it all in and they left. And, and, uh, I couldn't wait till my dad come back to pick me up. And he came by a few hours later and picked me up. And I, first thing I said, I, I'm like, we have to go to town and we have to buy, some arrows with broadheads on them because I had a recurve bow, like a 50 pound bow, but I'd never shot any broadheads <laughs> through it or nothing. I'm like, we got to go to town. We got to get these arrows because I'll be right back there in the morning. I'm going to kill that bull. And he's like, no, you're, you're not going to do that. You can't kill an elk with a bow. You, I'm like, no, you can. I, I'm, I'm going to do it. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. So <laughs> I, I, started saving my money. I see I was 14 at the time. So I okay. started saving my money. And the next summer I worked all summer, uh, in the hay fields, uh, bucking bales and putting up hay for local farmers. And I saved all of my money so I could buy my first bow rig. I got a compound bow, a high country, uh, trophy hunter bow with a dozen arrows. And I got all the gear. I bought some polar fleece camouflage and, and everything. And and I was just, I was all in. I went all in. And I, I had a video a teacher gave me that had uh, hunts on it. It was a, it was a, a tape, a VHS tape with, uh, 
with uh, Larry Jones and Dwight Shue and, yes. and all those old guys and uh, Elk Fever, you know, all that, those era videos. There's like seven hours of videos on this one tape. And I just watched it and watched it, watched it. And uh, my dad could see I was kind of going all in on this. And he's like, well, tell you what, if you get a bull, then I'll, I'll pay you back for all the money you spent on your gear. I'm like, deal. Good deal. Yeah. He knew he was safe. There was no way I was going to get a bull, right? I mean, just dumb 15-year-old kid. I don't even have a driver's license. So I practiced with my bow, and I did all my, my scouting. And I knew all the farmers from working in the fields and stuff. And, and, uh, and this, a couple of them let me, let me hunt. So opening day, my, my best friend and I were right there watching these elk. And uh, <laughs> I forgot my... Uh, my my bugle tube or wait wait no no i yeah i forgot my bugle tube and uh my brother-in-law or my he's my brother-in-law now but he's my best friend back there he had a bugle tube but he forgot his his diaphragm reads i said here give me that tube and i'll bugle for you and he's like no no you'll call it to you and you'll shoot it (laughs) we hadn't got the teamwork thing figured out yet so he had this weird bite and blow um elk call it's made by elk ink uh um eastman's used to sell these things the the little elk talk call it looked like two plastic credit cards stuck together with a rubber band (laughs) anyway he jabbed that thing in the end of that tube and and blew on it and went bouncing across to this this wheat field that was hadn't been cut yet and this bull he put his bow above his head and this bull seen him and went over there and uh i thought he's gonna i thought the elk was gonna kill him it just it came in a dead run well, it ran right up there and he missed the thing. So, hmm. <laughs> so that was our first day of elk hunting with a bow. Pretty so good. Fast forward, yeah, fast forward uh, three days. My my buddy got in trouble, lipped off to his old man or something. So he was grounded. He couldn't go. So I had my mom take me out and uh, we were out on uh, the state ground and I got this bull bugle in and we exchanged bugles for a while. Anyway, I called him right into 15 yards and I shot that sucker. It was the third day of season, third day of elk hunting I'd ever had. And she, <laughs> she went back home and told my dad to, to get the come along. Cause he was going to be able to load it whole, right. It's yep. flat ground and you know, logging road said, bring your come along and your, and your checkbook, your boy got an elk. So <laughs> after that, it was history. But, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I, I'd kind of reached out to a couple of old timers there that had bow hunted elk before and, um, uh, try to get a little mentoring from them, you know, try to get picked up on some ideas and, and, uh, they told me a few things, but nothing that really seemed real valuable. Um, and I kind of seen these elk videos and I could see what kind of expect how the elk would come in and how to prepare for the shot and such. But in my mind, I kind of thought, well, what are elk doing when they're bugling back and forth to each other? Well, they're, they're getting pissed off and they're wanting to fight. Well, how, how would I, if I were an elk and I wanted to fight that elk over there, how would I, how would I do that? Well, I would, you know, talk smack back and forth, you know, work my way over there, beat the crap out of a tree or whatever, and, you know, get up in there, you know, get close as I can and make them think I'm an elk coming to fight them. And, well, I got lucky. I mean, that, that actually worked. And to this day, that's still the same kind of premise, you know, I, I operate on. I'm just, I'm, 
when I when I get a bull to bugle, I just want him to think I don't. I'm not. I'm not a hunter anymore. I'm another elk, and I want. I'm trying to fight that guy. I'm picking a fight with him. I want to go fight that other bull or make him think I'm going to try to fight him, and then get him mad enough to where he comes in. Yes, and it seems to work. It seems to work. Yeah, I think that uh, Idaho bulls in particular are definitely more of that. You got to be aggressive. Uh, have you, yeah. you hunted Wyoming? What other states have you hunted elk? Yep. And kind of got a feel for the different styles that are necessary. I've uh, hunted Wyoming quite a bit. Uh, hunted one, Montana one year. Uh, hunted Oregon one year. That's it. Yeah. So, do you still employ your pretty aggressive tactics? Like I'm going to threaten you until you do something about it. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I just, I think if you have to act like an elk, you can't analyze it like I'm a hunter. I'm going to try to sneak over there and kill him. No, I'm a, I'm an elk. I want to get you pissed off and I want you to fight me. And that's kind of what I, I go with. So I could use a pretty aggressive approach. Um, but a lot of times it, it, it all kind of depends on the temperature or the attitude of the elk. Um, you know, if he's not super worked up, then you can just, you can't go for the throat right away. You know, it's like prom night, you know, you, you might want to put your arm around her before you try to French kiss her, right? Yeah. Um, you got to kind of work your way into it. Some bulls, they're fired up. I mean, you can go whole hog right off the bat with them and, and get aggressive. It just kind of depends. It's so mm-hmm. situational, very, very different every time. But So have you hunted with a lot of newbie hunters? Uh, my kids mostly. Uh, they're newbies. Um, and I've, I've taken a couple guys out that hadn't hunted much. Um, and my my brother-in-law which we grew up best friends um we've hunted a lot together but it's almost hunt with him i'd hate to for him to hear this but it's almost like he's hunting i'm hunting with a newbie hunter with him because he's got a different different thought process he's more of a he's more of a rifle hunter mentality more of a kind of uh be quiet sneak up you know very methodical which was not wrong it's just different than the way i do it so sometimes it's, it's difficult but but with the kids um, like my son, you know, took him bow hunting since he was 12. And so there was a lot of, a lot of newbie type hunting stuff there. I wanted to get into like, obviously a lot of the mistakes guys are making and see if we can kind of clean that up now. Um, but I got to set the frame for framework for my next question, which was the Maverick. You teamed up with Phelps and made a call. Um, yeah. tell me about that. Is it a single? Is it a double? I feel like I might've used it this year. I think I did, but I'm not sure. That sounds terrible, but you know, Phelps send me a gaggle of calls and I'm just like, you know, in the dark grabbing whatever. And, you know, yeah, I prefer a single until I know it's like go time. And then I probably mm-hmm. switch to a double, but I always have everything on me. What, tell me about the Maverick and kind of what you guys collaborated on and, and the background on that. So the Maverick is a single latex read. Okay. Um, it usually takes a heck of a guy with a heck of a big bunch of lungs to blow a double so um and i've always liked a single read um when phelps and i worked on this he sent me i don't know how many 15 or 20 different reads with different latexes different thicknesses of latexes different stretches of latexes so we kind of had an idea what i liked but we wanted to kind of you know not leave anything on the table we want to make sure you don't want to assume so we so i went through all those and just one after another blew blew this one, blew that one, blew this one, blew that one. And then within the first go round through all of those, I'd, I'd picked out about five or six that I liked. Mm-hmm. And then 
I narrowed it down from there. Um, but I wanted something that I, I blow pretty hard. Um, so I wanted something that's going to be durable and that would, would take that extra air pressure. So I wouldn't overblow, you know, cause when I get excited calling in elk, I tend to blow really hard. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm mad. I want to show you I'm mad with a big mean challenge bugle or whatever. And I wanted that to, to be able to, to take it and sound good, not distort. Cause some calls the latex is a little too thin and they'll kind of cut out on you. So. Uh, kind of narrowed it down to that, and then I wanted there was there were some that were all about about the same thickness of the of the green latex that we selected for this one, but the different colored latexes or whatever they didn't have the same rich tone as the the green one for me. So you know I tried all these different bugles, these different tones, these different grunts, uh, different screams, and and it had the the best rich tone. And it would just stand up to whatever I threw at it. So, so then we kind of narrowed it down with the different stretches. We we stretched it super tight. We stretched it not quite so tight till we found like a really good stretch. But then then we dialed it in even further because, of course, the the public Joe Public is not me. Uh, they're gonna have to take this thing out, call out of a package, and blow it and have it work reasonably well for them. Um, so. With that in mind, we kind of tweaked a little bit on the stretch a little bit more to where I wanted something that when you took it out of the package, it would bugle lights out. The, the cow calls are a little bit chirpy right out of the package, but that's part of the part of the design because I wanted – because a lot of calls, if it comes out of the package perfect on cow calls and bugles, after some hard calling, it will stretch out pretty quickly and then – you kind of lose that sweet spot. I wanted this thing to settle into a sweet spot after 30 bugles or so, and then stay there for quite a while. Yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of what we found, uh, with the stretch and with the stretch on there now. So, um, it's got a good break in period and then it kind of just settles in and, and, uh, stays there for quite a while. So I heard, talked to a couple guys and they were like, man, I blew out a reed. I blew out a reed and I didn't blow out a single reed this year. Is that is that common for you? Are you blowing out reeds? Um, in the past, I've blown out some seriously blew out some reeds. You know, you might go through ten a year. You know, okay. Um, so in some of them, you take them right out of the package and, and you blow on it like eh, dud. Throw it away immediately. Throw it away. You can't even bugle with it. It doesn't Shoot. sound right. Yeah. So, but that was that was one of the things that, you know when Jason. I've known Jason for a long time. We've been friends for a long time and he kept pounding me. Let's do, let's collaborate. Let's do a call. So I finally said, you know, I want to, I want to get a, a call. I want to be able to use calls and I want people that trust my opinion to use calls that every time they pull it out of a package that they have confidence, it's going to be good and reliable. And man, I've found that, you know, for a couple of years leading up to collaborating, he'd sent me several calls and every single one of them was just good it was dynamite spot on so that kind of led me down down the road to, to working with him on the call and you know he put a lot of a lot of faith in me and he trust put a lot of trust in me and and uh i i felt that was pretty pretty cool so we did this thing and it's kind of taken off from there yeah it makes sense man you mentioned elk fever and that got me so pumped because oh yeah uh last week <laughs> i left i left voicemails on larry d jones 
and Dwight Shue's cell phones to get them on this podcast. Uh, oh, wow. I, yeah, I usually yeah. get my super blue collar you haven't heard of. Those are the ones I kind of key on, but I've gotten a few industry people, right. and, and I was like, well, I'm, great. I'm bringing Dirk on. He's You're pretty well known, dude, I think. I think people know who you are and that you're really successful, and, and you're hanging out with the Elk 101 crew and the Phelps crew. and But Larry and I actually hunted together a couple years quite a well, over 10 years ago actually but so i'm like man i gotta get him on here before he kicks the bucket and i actually said that on his on my voicemail because that's how larry is yeah. he's a pretty cool guy you can make fun of how yeah. he is and then dwight <laughs> is super serious but uh pretty dry sarcastic but uh we'll see if one of the, if those old timers like you can't send 70 year olds text i don't think you can at least so i had to actually leave a voicemail so we'll see if i can get them on but but that made me think of that but what i want to ask you is like so Growing up, Idaho, the heyday, what – just for, for my own personal, like I yeah. started hunting elk until the early 2000s in Idaho, and it was pretty amazing. What, what have you seen since you started up until 2018? What, what have you seen happen in Idaho with the elk and kind of like take us through your own personal anecdotal observations, if you will? Man, it, everything has changed. Uh completely changed for me and my elk hunting growing up i lived where i could be elk hunting 10 minutes from my house i was so so blessed by having elk right 10 minutes from my house and so i hunted before school and after school which you know gave me so much time to screw it up or to do it right yeah um so that was awesome and back then everybody when it went to the back country these were low country elk, you know, not too far out of town. And everybody went to the back country to hunt elk. So we had these elk to ourselves. <laughs> Nobody bow hunted these things. So that was a real help, um, you know, for a, a, a newbie or a novice elk hunter because, you know, of course we didn't know what the heck we were doing. And But the elk would bugle awesome. We would bugle. My, my, my best friend, he lost every single arrow out of his quiver one morning. He missed like six bulls in one morning good god if you can even imagine that yes and it's flat ground what you could have loaded any of them whole right it's just we just we get back to the truck and be like we can never tell anybody about this because it's so good everybody goes to the mountains and here we are hunting easy elk and they're screaming everywhere and so it was awesome but as time went by um more and more people started figuring it out. They start, you start seeing a more uh, pickup here or pickup there. You'd hear a guy bugling over there. And finally it got so bad that there was enough people and enough pressure. Then the elk started reacting and that made calling them a lot tougher. So, you know, we had to change our tactics up a lot. We had to become more aggressive. We had to push them harder you know, before you could, you could be semi-aggressive and, and they would come in, but now they would bugle and run, bugle and run. Well, on that flat ground, they can bugle and run all they want, but you're going to, you'll be able to hem them up eventually and they're going to get pissed off and turn around and come and fight. So that, that was, that was still pretty good. But then it, it then it would got to be where there's, there was even more people. And I, I was kind of wanting more adventure too. I was starting to get a little older um, had a little more freedom, ability to drive myself somewhere, and I kind of wanted to go to the back country. So, um, 
had no clue, you know, he'd go hunting up there. I had a, a Mountain Dew and a pocket knife, you know, and no, it not even have any game, game bags. I mean, didn't have a good pack frame, didn't, had no clue, but would go up there and didn't have much luck. Um, didn't know where we were going, didn't know what we were doing. So, so thank God. Uh, I don't know, you know, we probably would have had meat go bad if we had shot something. I mean, so, um, and my dad was no help. He was just like, no, you'll figure it out yourself. Don't, don't be shooting no elk down there. That, that meat won't help you pack. <laughs> that meat won't help you pack it out at all. It'll just lay there. And well, he's right. It just lays there. It, it helps you not at all. It's terrible. <laughs> it's difficult. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. So, you like, know, <laughs> these, these herd bulls, like how many satellites did they have compared to now? Is it the same deal or is it like nothing close to what it was? Well, well, back then in the heyday, um, so there would be this big herd bull. There'd be 30, 40 cows, and there'd be five or six satellite bulls Seriously? running around. Yeah, yeah. And this was, you know, flat ground. I can't, I can't speak to what the, the backcountry had, but you would, t- you would talk to people, and you would hear them tell stories, and um, they told the same kind of stuff. You know, there'd be 30 cows in a herd. There would be just chaos, you know, big bulls, shoot, guys would shoot big bulls every year. So then finally, by the time I started figuring out kind of how to, you know, mid nineties, um, starting to figure it out a little bit, how to hunt the back country, start getting geared up a little better. Um, starting to hear more bugles, starting to call a couple bulls in, in the back country. A lot of, a lot of the biggest, uh, learning curve of the backcountry for me was just navigating the nasty country. I can hear a bull bugle, but how am I going to get there and get set up and call him in and then get him out? So that was kind of the biggest challenges. So because you know it's North Idaho, it's it's brush, it's br- <laughs> it's brush like you never seen in most places. So it's pretty difficult. You know, a mile, two miles. In North Idaho is like six miles in in Wyoming. <laughs> it's the truth. It's very difficult. It's true. So finally, start figuring out how to navigate the the nasty the nasty country, the back country of Idaho, and fine tuned my my gear gear and start you know taking meat bags and start taking food and water and everything I needed to get one, and then I started killing them. But by then. Um, there was, there was still a few big bulls left. There was still some, some big ones and there wasn't a lot of people hunting, but about the time I kind of figured that out, started calling in some monster bulls in the backcountry. Then we had our fuzzy friends, the wolves be reintroduced. Mm-hmm. And now, now that you got the, now you figured out the game and, and you've learned the rules of the game, everything's changed. The rules of the game have completely changed. And then, so that sent us scrambling to try to figure out how to how to do it again. So, well, how have your track, uh, your tactics changed with <clears throat> wolves increasing their population? Uh, they're not going anywhere, yeah. and like how have they affected your elk hunting? Like, what have you had to do, you know, evolving wise? Well, pre wolves, um, you could go set up your camp. And be like, all right, I'm camping right here. I'm going to hunt these two drainages all season. And I can screw up the elk, but I can go back. I'll go to the other side of the canyon tomorrow and chase other elk. And then a day later, I'll come back to where I screwed them up and it'll be good again. You could do that. And, and just, you didn't have to 
travel too far from your camp. You could just kind of go back up, up to old reliable and there, there would be elk there every year and they wouldn't move too far if you busted them or whatever. Give them a couple days of rest and it'd be good to go. But now, uh, since the wolves have, have come along, um, the elk seem to have, they've moved and to harder to hunt places. So back before it's a little more gentle country, you can hunt a little less steep. Um, maybe you could find some pockets where it wasn't so brushy. Now that I find that it seems like they go to the nastiest, steepest, brushiest places, uh, to live. So they're more difficult to get to. Um, and then, um, you can't, you can't bank on it. You can't, you can't say, well, I found these elk last week here. I'm going to go back next week and, and be in them. That sometimes changes day to day. You, you maybe have, have elk going great one day in a drainage and the next day wolves will be howling and it's like a spaceship beamed them out of there. They'll, they'll clamp down. They'll, they'll, the, the elk will quiet down. A lot of times they don't move too much. They just kind of hunker down. And so now what, now what do you do? You know, some, I think a big mistake a lot of folks do is they, they don't switch out of that same mode. They're like, well, I know the elk are here and I'll get a chance. I'll get a, an opportunity at some point and they'll just keep hunting there. But a lot of times those, those, those wolves have fouled it up for, you know, several days. So those elk go quiet and then you kind of lose your opportunity to make something happen. So, yeah, I need, I need elk to talk if I'm going to kill me, one. Me too. I, I, if I couldn't call elk, I probably couldn't kill elk in, in Idaho, at least. It's at least where we're at. I mean, right, that where kind we're of at, that is a rule. Like, it just, it, there's no spot in stock, and I don't even pack binos where I hunt. But, all right, well, let's help out-of-staters, even though I'm an out-of-stater. But let's help people about Idaho a little bit. Uh, the tag have sold out tiers in a row. Thanks, Land of the Free, and whatever else is going <laughs> on with, you know, uh, it's a good thing. I like it. Yep. I just hope Idaho doesn't get greedy and increase the amount of tags. Yeah. But uh, they probably will. Anyways, the guys coming to Idaho, it's a big state. It has – it's so different depending on where you go. We are literally – all we've talked about so far is North Idaho. And I consider North yeah. Idaho from about where you're at to the Canadian border. And then it gets yep. different. And then you have – the Waihees, which is like more of like the southwest desert country. And then you got yeah. some pretty big mountain ranges. You got the biggest wilderness and the lower 48, Frank Church. You got the Selway, which used to be the Mecca. You got the Lolos. And then you even have some really good country in the south, uh, the southeast. People ask me all the time, where should I go in Idaho? So I feel like we should talk about it. Let's discuss it. Like what's your thoughts on, you know, your typical guy or gal lives a long ways away from out West. They dream of elk hunting. They get inspired by these podcasts and videos and they're like, I'm doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Finally, I'm going to buy myself an OTC tag. They're in for a learning curve, but we're going to try to help them a little bit. Not a lot, but a little, what do you have to say for someone coming to Idaho? Where would you point them? I would, uh, I would first ask them, uh, have you hunted where there's brush or heavy forests before? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. North Idaho is pretty alluring to a lot of people. And I I kind of asked that question because a lot of people aren't used to this kind of brush. And it's almost a, a deal killer for them. So, you know, I, I try to find out what are they used to, you know. Let's, let's make this as easy as possible for yourself, right? I mean, unless you're a, 
a veteran elk hunter and just it, elk hunting's become too easy and you want to do something <laughs> super hard let's let's stack the odds in your favor um i would say look look for the areas that aren't so brushy um and especially if you're a, a new a new hunter maybe maybe you don't need to go to the wilderness i mean some people want to go deep you know because that's what they want to do and that's great that's very commendable but but sometimes let's say if you're new uh tail hunting that you might be setting yourself up to failure because not only do you have all the struggles of the of the deep backcountry, then you also have to deal with elk and you know how elk are they it's like they read the script and, and they change it on you all the time so so I would I would probably steer people toward areas that are a little easier to navigate. Maybe maybe not go to the to the full on back country. Maybe hit some of the front front country. You know that's not nearly as sexy, but it's a little more easy to navigate if if you're new. Um, and some of the front country have more elk. You know in North Idaho it, it sure does. You know the back country it seems like the wolves kind of got them pushed out or eaten. So some of the front country closer to town holds a little more elk, but there's more hunting pressure too. So, but if you look at Southern Idaho, um, if, if you're, I always tell people, if you, if you take Idaho and cut the skinny part off, which is just South of McCall, basically anything South of McCall and kind of over, uh, East of there, um, you kind of have kind of a rectangular, uh, shape of Idaho left and, and I know they have wolves in southern Idaho, but I still don't think they have them like we have up here. They thrive up here, and I don't think they do as as much thriving down there as they do up here. And I think uh, there's better elk densities in that part of Idaho. There's a lot more controlled rifle hunting in southern Idaho. Um, so that's something to think, take in consideration, too. So there's some units that have a controlled rifle hunt and have a, a uh, non-controlled, you know, over-the-counter bow tag. So that, that means a lot because, you know, your, your age class of elk, you're not killing as many elk every year. Your bulls are living longer. So you might have the opportunity to shoot a bigger bull or have more opportunity to see elk. So I definitely agree with what you said. I was going to bring up McCall. It's a beautiful area. Anything south of there is good. Less wolf densities. Still not like you, you're still going to probably run into them. Uh, yeah. You got to use what you said and be mobile. Um, but the biggest thing you've said there is if you're looking into Idaho, you should do your research and figure out those areas that have a limited rifle but have an OTC elk. I can't even tell you some of the it's, – it's shocking some of the opportunity down south there. Uh, oh, yeah. And if I lived closer, honestly, I would probably – that's probably where I'd go, get into some of that more – I mean, it's big country. It's steep. But, man, there's some sage and then there's mm-hmm. opportunity to glass. And, and there's a couple parts of Idaho that – uh, a little clue for those is you can get yourself a Montana tag. You got to put in nowadays because their general tag sells out. Uh, but you get yourself a general Montana. You get yourself an over-the-counter Idaho. You buy it before they sell out. You can hunt that fringe country, that border country. Just make sure you got tags in both states and and you got your archery stamps or whatever. And read the regs and know where you're at. Know where you stand. Use your X and. And there's some really good opportunity down there. Now in Wyoming, you've been over there. Are you hunting? Yeah. Have you hunted just general tags? General, yeah, yeah. They're the easiest to draw. You know, they're not super easy to draw, but I don't want to have to wait eight years to draw a tag. I, I want to draw one as just as quick as I can. So 
We just put in for the general hunt. 100%. Now, when you hunted Montana, did you run into, did you hunt Idaho, Montana is what I call it, where it's just an extension of that brush country, or did you get away from that crap? We got away from that crap. Yeah, we got to hunt uh, lodge poles and stuff like that. Oh, and the best. And and I always said, you know, man, if I could just call a bull into these lodge poles, man, we'd have it made. But those things are pretty tight sometimes in 40 <laughs> yards or 30 yards in lodge poles. That's not a gimme shot. <laughs> no, you're you're dead right. But the, the, the North Idaho thing is like you need to be prepared. Yeah. If you come up here, you're going to call a bull in maybe and when you do there's a high percentage that that bull's at 20 yards and you don't have a shot yeah and i'll be honest might not even see him might not even see him you might not see him and he's right there or you might see parts of his body and try to sneak one because you haven't done it yet and you're in for some hurting when you see that arrow deflect or you hit him not where you wanted to it's oh, you know, yeah. and especially if you're new to elk if you haven't had that many elk in front of you in bow range um no matter what practice you've done or whatever you need reps in that situation for where to set up when to draw when to stop them all that kind of stuff what they're going to do and usually you're rushing almost all the new hunters i've worked with they just rush and they have yeah. way more time than they think so all that comes with experience. So get yourself some good experience and maybe a little more friendlier country. You know, I've hunted New Mexico pretty early on when I could draw tags. I haven't drawn New Mexico since 2007. But wow. I've only had two New Mexico tags. And looking back, I wasn't that good of a hunter. I was just pretty determined. And I got bulls killed both times. Uh, New Mexico wow. is a dream of a place. So for new hunters, try to get yourself a New Mexico tag. But Make sure that, uh, you know, anywhere in that state is good. You know, a lot of people zone in on that, those, you know, the Gila's, the 16's yeah. and all that. But, man, that's compared to where I hunt, that is like a vacation hunt. That is fun hunting. You're seeing elk. You're glassing. And, and you can learn a lot more, I think, when you can see elk and watch them do their vocalizations and their behaviors. And you really start Absolutely. to learn more about elk where yeah. you hunt where we are you're kind of blind and you're really just cueing off sound and sign and that's about really all you can work with in idaho north idaho i should say yeah absolutely this is the north idaho episode uh, this is fun <laughs> um well that's what we know i mean it's our backyard it's really fun it's good country i would say have you have you hunted roosevelt's no no i feel like i feel like you and i could do pretty good on roosevelt's just given that we've been hunting in this brush country. I feel like we wouldn't be yeah. like, too freaked out about some swamp bulls. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, going into the forest, not seeing where you're heading and just going for it and f- figuring it out. Yeah. Spending an yeah, hour to go a quarter okay. mile. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's one of those deals. So, yeah. Well, we're going to get into a little bit of tactics on these bulls and, and sounds and whatnot. So, when do you usually head out for your first trip of the year? If you had to pick one week out of September, which one would you pick and why? If I'm in Idaho, uh, depending on where I'm in Idaho, but if I'm in Idaho, I, it's going to be the second part of the month. Um, bulls just seem to, to bugle better late for me. Um, and I think I've kind of heard you talk about having some decent luck calling early but where i go man i don't have good luck early at all and i i like that last week the very last week of september um 
which some people are like, oh, no, it's too late or uh, everything's over with or whatever. But I really, I really like I, I get better bugling during that last week of September. Okay. Um, but if I'm going to out of state, you know, if I'm going to Wyoming, um, it's the first week of September um, or maybe the second. Um, there's better bull densities, I think, um, but more better elk densities. I think they just, I think they rut different. Um, maybe because their climate and where they're at, I, I don't know, but, um, I like that early. You talk to Corey, you know, he, he likes, he likes Idaho the first two weeks too, because you know, the, the big bulls aren't cowed up yet, yada, yada, yada. But, but for where I go in North Idaho, I, I like the last week. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I would say I haven't been to Wyoming since 2000-something, six or seven. I'm supposed to go this year. I think everyone knows what happened there. I'm going back. I got my points back. I got a refund. Thank you, Wyoming. I did a medical uh, deal where – Yes. And God bless them. Got my really expensive special tag back. Um, that was expensive. But um, wow. the, the points was really what I was worried about. But um, So I'm coming back, Wyoming. Look out. But I would say like – so check this out. Like I would say New Mexico, Nevada. I'm just going off where I've hunted for out. Uh, get me there early, please. Nev- yeah. uh, Nevada was amazing early season this year. I mean, it was just mind-blowing. I'm talking September 1, just yeah, like my best days in Idaho. Uh, if you looked at like, all the elk I've killed throughout the years, I bet you could put majority of them between the 18th and 22nd in Idaho. So that yeah. lines up with what you're saying, like, yeah, I like hunting the bulls earlier because they're not cowed up yet. I feel like my chances are better, but when it comes down to I need to get a bull killed, put me there between the 18th and the 25th, and something's yeah. going to die. Uh, Montana, conversely, if uh, they wouldn't sell out their tags, my old program was to buy a Montana tag, uh, depending on how the year went, around October 1st and hunt montana the last 10 days of their season archery and you'd have the woods oh, wow. to, you'd have the woods to yourself the, the elk had been boogered but they they just there's like they got a little break and the hunting was always really good and the weather was always really nasty so i felt like i was always hunting in the snow a little bit but it worked out pretty good i had some very good years but i haven't been to montana in quite a few years but uh that program is still probably viable if you're willing to put in a little extra work and maybe save some of your vacation for that first week, second week in October, go to Montana, get yourself, and don't go to brush, brushy Montana, uh, Idaho, no. Montana, stay far away from there, get to that Lodge Bowl country. Yeah. Um, I would say I haven't hunted Oregon yet, so I just don't, I can't talk to it, but any time of the year is, is good if you can put together some dates, and that's one thing I preach on the, on the learning curve, Dirk, is like, Get yourself some time in the woods. Now, you had kind of a special deal. Like, you hunted before school, and you were telling me a story one time. Like, your shop teacher was, like, pretty cool. If you got into bulls, you could kind of be a little late because he he wanted to hear what was going on in the woods. But, like, (laughs) if you think about it, how many hours, days, weeks did you put together as a kid in high school hunting elk? Oh, tons. Tons. So, you know, and if if I – was tagged out i would still go you know for my buddy you know yeah so or my brother so i i was just i was out every every day of of season you know um all through high school from 15 years old till i had to start working for a living when i was 18 so yeah 
definitely. I didn't play sports. I just, I did, I did hunting. So do you think these guys coming out hunting, trying to get to that learning curve? I mean, what do you think is a good number of days they should realistically plan on hunting? Um, is five enough, seven? I mean, you got travel on there. Or do you think they should go two weeks? I mean, obviously the answer is as much as you can, but what do you think like the, a good formula would be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 10 days at least, you know, that, you know, that two weekends and the weekend, the weekend between those weekends is, uh, kind of good because <clears throat> everything can change within that time period and it can go from bad to good and then back to, or from good to bad, then back to good again within that amount of time. So I'd at least allow 10 days if you can, if you can swing it, um, you know, five, but swing whatever you can, if you got a weekend warrior, you, you got to get out there. You just got to, got to do it if you live close enough. Yeah. And I liked what you said when we were on the phone. I mean, we should have recorded our conversation last week. It, you had some good stuff. Yeah. You, you've been hunting a different style. Like you said, you've been hunting kind of out of your truck, setting up a camp in a central location, but driving 30, 40, 50 miles a day Yeah, to check out different areas and stuff like that. I think you should talk about that a little bit. I think people should understand like the why behind what you're doing there. Cause it's pretty, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to wh- where I'm coming from, but tell us about that. Yes. So I, I don't think a lot of people understand maybe what it takes. Cause you, a lot of what you see is the big base camps or, and you know, you, you go to your big base camp and you just hunt there, you know, kind of like we did 20, 30 years ago. Um, or you maybe backpack in, which is sexy as can be and fun, but a lot of this North Idaho stuff, you just can't do that. So what I do is I set up a base camp in a central location, and I have my plan A, B, C, all through Z. So I can, I can go out in any direction from my central location. So one day I drive, let's, let's talk about 2000, uh, 17 season my first day i drove over 50 miles from camp to hunt elk right to find elk to hunt elk i knew you know i kind of had an idea where some bulls would would possibly be from hunting there before hunted over there chase chase bulls all all day long up until dark and then drove all the way back the next day and i got into bulls and i got almost killed a big one the next day i didn't go back because there was a lot of wolves a lot of wolf pressure and a lot of uh a lot of people in that direction. The next day I drove uh probably twenty five miles in the opposite direction um to try something different. And the reason I do this is because you gotta you gotta stay mobile. Um just people get in a rut. I think they go back to the same spot, you know. The old adage, don't leave elk to find elk. That, that sometimes holds true, but there's some exceptions to that, I, I feel like. So if there's excessive hunting pressure, if there's uh, excessive predators, wolves, um, you may have a bunch of elk here, but it's going to be very difficult to kill them in, in this one place. So don't don't get married to that place. Um, try something different. And I started doing this several years ago because you just keep beating your head against the wall and the days tick by and you run out of time and you didn't get anything. So I go a complete opposite direction that I'd, I'd done my research. I'd done my scouting, went somewhere else. And that morning called in, or actually it wasn't that morning, that midday called in a big old bull and shot him and, and spent the next three days packing him. But, um, I don't think a lot of people 
think about that. You know, they, well, yeah, you might want to change your spot, you know, maybe five miles this way or five miles that way. But sometimes it takes thinking out of the box um, and doing things the other people don't do or won't do to, to make you successful, to get it done. That's awesome, man. I, I need to get outside my box. I've been, I hunt about 20 square miles, but I've thought about checking out some other areas and fitness is my biggest ally. So I'm not afraid to cover country. Got a dirt bike, got a four wheeler truck, whatever it takes. I'll get there boots on the ground. But I think, I think you're right. I think for guys coming to anywhere, any state, be ready to be mobile. Game plan is to to be flexible and to not be afraid to, to cover new country and know when to pull the plug. I think that's going to help people in the long term. I want to finish with some Corey Jacobson stuff. Like you guys have hunted together a lot. You grew up together. Do you guys hunt really well together? Do you feel like you guys are a really good team? Um, did it start that way? If it if that's true. How did that process evolve? Hunting partners, picking the right one, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think um, we've both have always kind of had that mindset, um, the same maybe process of how to call in bulls and be aggressive. Um, in the beginning, we in high school we hunted a, bit, a little bit together, and then he went off to college, and I went to went to work, and um, so we didn't hunt much together then. And several years passed, and then here, uh, probably 2012, we started hunting a lot again together. And everything we both learned in those in that period of time, we kind of brought back and shared with each other. And he's a he's a really good hunter. He's a he's a killer. Um, and I felt like we meshed really well. I didn't have to tell him like a new hunter you would have to say okay go set up by the tree i mean he knew where to go set up and or if he's calling for me he knew where to go uh back up and call or he would know how to like try to work work around to for the terrain to where the the bull would come in where the wind was good and vice versa you know we it's like we didn't have to have that conversation we we just knew what to do so so in that respect we we hunt really well together you guys, you guys hit it off from the word go, or was there uh, just like any process? Was there like a little feeling out stage? Uh, you do the call, and no, I'll do the call, and um, you know that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't know. It's like <laughs> it's almost like, hey, why don't you be the shooter? No, no, why don't you be the shooter? We we're we both kind of wanted to, the other person to shoot, so um, it didn't seem to be like a too big of a deal. We just kind of worked it out. That's and, cool. um, and before we just, we kind of take turns through the day, you know, be a caller shooter, but that's kind of evolved into like, now if you're the shooter, you're shooter for the day. Um, okay. And then, and a lot of times the caller don't even pack a bow. Um, so that way you can focus strictly on the, the calling, um, rather than calling and then setting up for yourself as well. So that seems to work out pretty good other than let's say. The only thing I don't like about that is, let's say you've had a bad day. Let's say you miss a bull, and it hurts. It hurts, especially if it's big or whatever. Let's say you mess up on one. You kind of still have to dust yourself off, get back on the saddle, and ride again. I'm, um, and sometimes that's kind of kind of difficult to do. So you don't have that opportunity to let it simmer for a day or whatever, and then like 
get get good with yourself again. So that that is one <laughs> one tough part with being the shooter all day. So you try not to make a mistake, but it happens. I have been accused by my dad a couple of times of being the caller and and really just all of a sudden setting it up for myself and so we've <laughs> my dad and I've we've had our arguments on the mountain but we've evolved to where he when I do hunt with him I am the caller and I leave my bow at home and we don't hunt together very many days but when we do I we we try to we try to put those days close to those dates I was talking about in Idaho kind of that third week time um, yeah. If I don't have, if you know, if I don't have a bull down already, I, I'll usually just stop what I'm doing and hunt with him. And his birthday's the 22nd, so I always kind of his birthday present is, hey, I'm calling for you today, and it's helped a lot just leaving the bow at home. And even this year, I posted a, um, the video day by day of my hunts in Idaho, and and he's the star of the show for a couple days because he's just my shooter. And you know, one of those things happened where he just. He totally screwed up on a bull twice that he should have killed, both times at five yards. Uh, um, both oh, times. dang. Yeah, and I think had I had my bow, we could have been like, all right, dude, why don't you chill out for the rest of the day and just call? Because his head was not in it, man. Like, he just kept, yep. you know, I think you're absolutely right. So there's something to be said about that. But, well, Dirk, yeah. where do people follow you? Like, obviously Instagram, but you're doing some YouTube stuff now, too, to, uh are you on the land of the free this year? Like, tell us what you got cooking. Yeah. So, uh, land of the free 2.0, uh, went hunting with born and raised outdoors. Um, and, uh, Phelps and, uh, Jason Phelps and Nick Schmidt down in Colorado this last September, first week of Colorado, we hunted down there and, and that was pretty fun. Um, did a backpack bivy hunt for my first full on bivy hunt ever. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was tough. We, it's kind of like it's kind of like bivy hunt in North Idaho, but maybe worse because it was at ten thousand feet. Oh gosh, <laughs> it was tough country, very tough country. But it was we had a good time. The company made up for made up for it. But uh, so uh, that's that's that just kicked off last night. Land of the Free two did, and uh, so that'll probably in a week or two you'll be able to see that hunt that I was involved with. And then uh, Corey Jacobson, Donnie Drake, and I um, hunted in Wyoming uh, again this year, um, and we filmed that for the uh, video series Destination Elk for YouTube. And uh, that's gonna that's gonna kick off. Uh, I believe it is the seventh. So on Monday, November seventh, uh, that kicks off on YouTube. So that'll that'll be a cool series to watch. And, uh, I have a YouTube channel on my own. I haven't put much, much on there except a couple of goofy videos that I did and, uh, one for boiling a skull out, but little by little, I'll get some content on there. But, um, social media wise, you can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm the bugler. That's one word. And then on Facebook, it's just Dirk Durham. That's the man. So we're doing, um, Elk Shape Camp 2019. Uh, every waking second I'm trying to scramble and put together the content for that, like actual, the fitness side of stuff, like nutrition manual, yeah. the training manual, all that stuff that I feel like people need tangibly, like they've got to have it in their hands before they leave. And I'm going to make them right. fly to Spokane. I'm going to make them uh, regret every second that they came. Not really, but <laughs> we're going to, I do want it to be formidable. I want it to be something that could potentially be life changing. I feel like 
Um, I have like my whole life's work is helping people in their fitness and my passion is elk hunting. So when I get a chance to do both, I'm really happy guy. And so I'm going to bring him in and I talked to Phelps and he, he sounded like he wanted to come down for that, but I know how busy he is. So I went ahead and called the Maverick, the bugler and tried to get you to pencil in the first weekend of March. But, um, there's a good chance you're going to be the guy coming up doing the elk calling part. Cause I yeah. feel like you can't have an elk shaped camp without elk calling and it can't Absolutely. be something that you just, it's got to be hands-on in person, get reads in people's mouths and get them learning right then and there. So hopefully it works out to where you're the guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be there. I've, I've already uh, written that down. That's pretty cool, man. I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, me too. And, and you know, we're, I'm going to cap it at 20 guys, but I, I just want it quality over quantity. And I feel yeah. like uh, I'm in a really special situation where my gym is big enough where we can do, we can handle that. We can get everybody's biometrics, get them the nutrition information and the training information. That stuff's easy. But the part that I feel super fortunate is having one of my really good friends owns one of the best archery shops around, Spokane Valley Archery. And he's yeah. been awesome. He's like, yeah, man, you guys can totally come here on Sunday. We'll close it. We'll keep it just for you guys. I'll be available. And I was like, well, can we do some video analysis? Just, you know, everyone's got a phone these days. Throw a little slow-mo on and watch their shooting form. Because this guy, man, he busts my balls on my technique every time I'm in there. Like, he gives me just that one. He's like a good coach. Like, anyone in, yeah. like, where I'm at when I train athletes, is it's just that one magic slogan or, or cue, whether it be, you know, a, a good cue is is different for everybody, but just that one cue to really fix or tighten up your groups. And he's got a 3D course. It's like 16 targets with some topography in there that we can get guys shooting with backpacks on and shooting under duress and, and work on some angles. And, um, yeah, I, I'm excited. I feel like we can kind of cover it all in one weekend and hopefully elevate some people's game when it comes to elk hunting. So um, that's my vision, and I'm super stoked to have you. So I wanted to tease people about that. And we haven't done registration yet. I'm still working on making sure everything's dialed and then uh, open that up probably in December. So, Oh, that's awesome. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Maybe you can help me quit being a fat kid too. Well, how much weight did you lose in Colorado, <laughs> fat kid? Uh, let's see. I think I lost about 20 pounds. Are you kidding overall me? Overall <laughs> during, 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 during hunting season. So from September 1 till I got done. So I lost about 20 pounds. More importantly, what was the first thing you ate when you got out of that Colorado backcountry? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about September. I can eat. <laughs> yeah. I love that juicy burger and ice cold beer when you come out of the backcountry. It's the best. Uh, yeah, yeah oh, it is. That's cool. Well, Dirk, I can't wait to watch you on TV. Um, my TV yeah. upstairs is big, and I just connected to YouTube. So I'm going to totally dial in and and uh, wish my off-season blues away by living through you. So thanks for doing all that. It's not easy to do to be filmed. It's not easy to film and to, to do that. So, I mean, it sounds easy on paper, but what you guys are doing is really awesome. And I know it's just hard. So thank you for putting the effort in. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to have you on finally. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Okay, sounds good. Take care.